Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Dr. Susan Madsen, director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah State University, is joining us today to talk about new research from the Utah Women and Leadership Project into how the pandemic has affected women and work. Dr. Susan Madsen is the inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership at the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State uh, University. Um, and uh, Dr. Madsen, welcome uh, back to Access Utah. Great to be here again. Good to have you with us. Uh, I want to mention right off the top of the, uh, the, the broadcast, uh, there's a new podcast from Utah Women in Leadership Project, partnership with us here at uh, Utah Public Radio, and uh, several episodes already up and available. You can get those wherever you get your podcasts, and you can link over from upr.org. It's on the main page there. Just uh, find Utah Women in Leadership Project and click on uh, Listen Here. And a lot of great topics already up there, uh, Dr. Madsen. Yeah, we we are excited about our partnership with Utah Public Radio and, and getting some of our really engaging uh, events that we had this past year, some clips of those on some of our podcasts. But also we have many podcasts as we relaunch this that will be based on really engaging conversations, but based on the research studies that we've done. Um, through the years on a variety of topics. So I know anybody that's that's really interested in kind of keeping up to date with with some of these community topics, you know, specifically with women, would enjoy listening into those. So the gender wage gap, exploring intersectionality of race and gender, status of women leaders in business, uh, strategies of male allies, child care, Poverty among Utah women, the list goes on and on. So check that out, the Utah Women Leadership Project podcast. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, just briefly at the beginning here, Dr. Madsen, what is Utah Women and Leadership Project? So it's, it's about 12 years old. Um, I created it really in 2009. And the mission is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. And I created it initially because I had a lot of requests for research on topics related to women and going to college and women and, and representation and politics and just all kinds of things. So created the project to kind of give me a space, honestly, Tom, a website so that I could share the research. But what we do now, we've continued that it was going to be a one-year project. Now it's into 12 years, but what we really focus on are three things. Again, the, the mission is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women, three elements. One is research. We're really the hub of gender research and research on women in the state, too. We develop resources, and this podcast you just talked about and is one of those resources, um, but, but curriculum for girls and women, um, infographics, and a lot of other things. And then third... We do our own events um, and convene other and co-host and convene other events as well. So those are the three main areas and would welcome anybody to join our monthly newsletter, which you can subscribe at utwomen.org. And you can find the Utah Women Leadership Project, uh, I believe, usu.edu slash uwlp slash uwlp. Um, and uh, Dr. Madsen's now up here at US, USU. We're glad about that. So, um, so this this latest project, uh, the latest study, very very interesting. Uh, we've heard anecdotally uh, problems, of course, uh, caregiving, 
always disproportionately on women, right? But uh, in the pandemic, uh, the, the problem just ramped up. I want to start with women leaving the workforce. This is what we've been hearing about anecdotally. Did your study find uh, find that the women were, were leaving the workforce during the pandemic disproportionately to men? Um, absolutely. What we do know, well, let me tell you a little bit about the broader study. And we've released four different briefs on that study, each with a little bit of a different topic. But overall, we really worked hard to get lots of women in the state of Utah of different ages, different races, income levels, education. Um, And we ended up having over 3,500 Utah women complete the survey, um, with over 2,700 of them actually completing open-ended questions, which are qualitative data. And this latest brief focusing on caregiving responsibilities is uh, that sample. But also we've done research on um, our first brief was about changes, just the question you've asked me now, and burnout and hope. Our next one was on career advancement challenges. Then we have some statistics on caregiving and homeschooling, and this latest brief we just released last week really is on those caregiving experiences. And with that one, we really focus on not just care, well, a lot of it's caring for your children, right, in your home. That's a big one. But also there were lots of experiences of women caring for, for, you know, their parents and other folks as well. Oftentimes, people have dis, you know, children with disabilities as well. So in terms of women leaving the workforce, um, we had in Utah about 17% of women in our sample who completed the survey that said they left the workforce. And how does that compare to, uh, you know, say, men leaving the workforce? Um, we actually didn't collect that data, but mm-hmm. we know from... The Kempsey Gardner Institute, uh, they have some specific data on this, and they basically said in Utah during the height of the pandemic that twice as many women left as men. I can't remember, honestly, Tom, mm-hmm. exactly what that percentage was, but it was pretty striking. I'm remembering their charts, and it was because they got the stats out of some more broader databases, and so what they found was women in Utah were leaving at twice the number as men in terms of, and there's a lot of reasons why why women left, and some were their companies closed, right? Yeah. And, and they had to leave. And some were that they just couldn't do it. They didn't have child care. They couldn't, they couldn't do it physically. They just could not make it work with kids at home doing homeschool and toddlers. You know, um, it's been a long time since I've had a toddler in my home other than my grandkids from time to time. But trying to work a full-time job or even a part-time with a two- or three-year-old crawling around needing attention, those things put some women in the state of Utah really in almost an impossible situation. Yeah, you, we'll get into talking about uh, you know daycare, but of course schools, uh, schools closed. <laughs> and so, yeah, what do you do with the kids? They're, they're home, right? Um, yeah, and, and it's not just taking care of them. Like, it's not just babysitting during that time, because some school districts were closed for a very long time in the state of Utah. But it is that stress of trying to keep your kids productive, right? That's a, that's a, a, a you know, very complex uh, task as well. 
I, I'm, I was reading that another reason uh, some women left the workforce was pressure from co-workers. Yeah, I think there's many reasons that they left, but but in terms of that, um, yeah, and and some of it was even treatment of their bosses, not understanding, really expecting them to not lose a beat, continue to work exactly like they have. Coworkers' responses to them, um, not understanding, being critical of them because they couldn't keep up or their kids were walking in front of the Zoom. <laughs> the Zoom meetings or whatever. Um, in our data, though, we found that many women did say, hey, I actually have a great boss. I have a great company. One thing that was interesting is there really was a divide. When many women saw how their companies treated them, some became more loyal, and some said, you know what, I've left or I will leave when I feel, get the right job, because I don't think I want to be with this company long-term based on its behavior and lack of support. Hmm. So staying with this general theme, um, you've, uh, you've been quoted as saying that uh, some of these women leaving the workforce or women having left the workforce could have lasting effects on some industries that employ large numbers of women. Yes. Uh, what we found in our research, as well as the global, more national and global research, is that, you know, with some industries in our research, we actually had women say, you know what, I've loved the retail industry all my career, or I've loved doing daycare, or I've loved, you know, whatever field, hospitality, or the other fields that were really those those sectors that were really impacted in serious ways. And some of them said, I've loved it. However, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore because because it's just I can't live with the insecurity. And it, what happens if we continue to have emergencies, whether the pandemic, you know, um, continues or there could be, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, once this gets over, who knows what's going to happen in the future? We may have other other real difficult times. So maybe I'm even going to leave this whole sector or industry and go with something that's more stable. I have to say, however, we had a lot of K through 12 teachers who took our survey. Wow. We could do a whole report just on their responses. And I don't know if you can guess what their responses were, but uh, generally speaking, teachers, our teachers really got hit hard. Even though they were still getting a paycheck, they were asked to do so much more and had to do so much more to try and engage and things that, that, you know, the hours, extra hours they put in without any additional pay. Um, That was rough. And we had many teachers say, I'm not sure I'm even going to stay in this. They had a job, Tom. We're not talking about that. They got a paycheck. But the stress of it and the extra workload without recognition and the pressure from parents, you know, criticizing them and different things uh, really put them in a situation where they're thinking, well, do I want to do this long term or not? Yeah, that's an interesting twist on this phenomenon we're seeing that, you know, a lot of uh, businesses are having trouble right now finding employees. Uh, Some folks, I guess, through the experience of the pandemic might uh, say, I'm going to change careers. I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, I think that's, we definitely, you know, saw that in our sample. Um, And people actually 
feeling like we we did some some questions on interest in going back to school, which, you know, being at Utah State University, you know, we're always interested in people going back to school. But there were many women that said, you know, maybe I'm going to shift. Women that didn't have as much education, I believe I need more education. Some saying, hey, I've got a bachelor's degree, but I'm not sure I want to stay here. Maybe I'm going to go back and get a certificate in something else. So there were quite a few women that really thought about training and education, formal and informal, in terms of preparing themselves with more security and more choices moving forward. Let's uh, take a brief break. When we come back, I want to hit some of these bullet points, maybe starting with working mothers faced unsustainable labor loads. Um, and, and go from there. But uh, a very interesting a new uh, study, a series of studies out from Utah Women in Leadership Project, uh, taking a look at the pandemic and how that's affected women and work. This latest um, paper uh, focusing on caregiver experiences. We have Dr. Susan Madsen, who's director of Utah Women in Leadership Project, with us for the hour. We'll have more following this. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Idaho National Laboratory, where the advanced test reactor is renewed every 10 to 16 years through a core internals changeout, which keeps the nation's flagship test reactor running at optimal performance. More information is available at inl.gov forward slash ATR. Hanging baskets and planters look beautiful early in the growing season and make an amazing addition to any yard or garden. However, by the time the heat arrives in late June or July, they can struggle and suffer without proper care and eventually find a new home in the compost pile. The secret recipe to keep your hanging baskets and planters looking beautiful all summer requires only a few simple steps. Fertilize, hydrate, and repeat. Use a water-soluble or liquid fertilizer every three to four days and hydrate the soil completely on a daily basis. Use a soil penetrant or hydrating agent if your baskets dry out too fast. Consistent watering, a regular fertilizer regimen, and your persistence can make all the difference in a gorgeous planter or an early addition to the compost heap. Support for The Garden Spot comes from Logan Extermination, serving Cache Valley for over 45 years, offering year-round pest control, lawn, tree, and shrub maintenance. Information at loganextermination.net. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Dr. Susan Madsen, Director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah State University. Um, and uh, they have issued a series of uh, papers recently on uh, the, the general topic of how the pandemic has affected women and work. The latest one uh, focuses specifically on caregiver experiences. Uh, Dr. Susan Madsen is inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. Uh, I want to mention Dr. Madsen here at the beginning of this segment, uh, if you want to hear more about this topic... You have an event coming up, I believe, August 25th on on this yes. topic. Yes, absolutely. And I really brought for this event, um, I'll be moderating but also sharing as well, but I brought in the three other main researchers on my team, um, all employees at Utah State University as well, a couple of uh, 
of folks that have been really on our statistics, and then our new associate director, Marin Christensen, who has really been the lead for the qualitative research. So invite people to join us for an interactive discussion on uh, the impact of COVID-19 on Utah women and work and some of the findings that we've had. So this is Wednesday, August 25th at noon. This is an online virtual event, right? Yeah, it's through Zoom, and and you can find information about that um, at uh, utwomen.org. That's our short short URL to get to the longer one at, at Utah State University. Utahwomen.org. Okay, very good. Yep. Um, so th- this uh, study on uh, the impact of the pandemic on women and work, um, so the, the one of the findings here, Working mothers faced unsustainable labor loads. What did what did caretakers uh, tell you? Well, uh, we we have in this particular study we have lots of stories from different uh, caretakers or caregivers, and and that whole struggle we called it struggle to juggle. That was our number one finding when we really looked at the impacts of COVID on working mothers, specific on these caregiving responsibilities. So. That extra load, that struggle to juggle is what we call it, you know, is, it was absolutely, you know, there for women who really had caregiving responsibilities. So, and that again could include their own kids or guardianship or, or taking care of their parents, um, or other elders. But a lot of the women really did talk their moms and they really did talk about their, their own kids. Um, and, and again, really looked at that daycare. So, so let me just back up a little bit because some of the mothers actually had to keep going out like nurses, like healthcare. So they didn't have the option to actually stay at home. And so we really heard in different ways, people that just felt absolutely stuck. And, and we have a whole section in this brief on single moms, which is a whole different area as well. But people that had to keep going to actually do their job, like in the healthcare industry. And then we had a whole different set of discussion or comments about women who did get to keep their jobs, right? They're, but they were working at home and that complexity of trying to, and they're different situations, but trying to do homeschool, trying to figure out daycare. When, as you know, the, the daycare was pretty much shut down or there were daycares open, but, you know, you had to have less kids or people just didn't, you know, were scared to send their kids. And, and I understand all, all of those different perspectives. Um, and, and some of my own kids, you know, struggled with that with their children as well. So that struggle to juggle was our number one finding. And we did have... Um, like one mother, she said, working from home instead of my office has been immensely challenging with the added responsibility of making sure my child is doing schoolwork and keeping on task. With this shift, I also find myself working more late hours just to keep up on the work since there were so many interruptions during the day. This translates to housekeeping tasks not getting done since I'm working during the time I would normally take care of these things. So we did have many, many women who just said, I'm not even sleeping, you know, nearly as much because I'm trying to do a full-time job, do my kids, do all of the pieces at the same time. And some felt like it was just almost impossible. 
Some of this, it strikes me, uh, some of the findings of this study, including this one, are, are just sort of worsening, if I could uh, put it that way, of, of, I think, trends that have been there for a long time, right? The disproportionate, already before the pandemic, disproportionate weight on, on the mothers, right, on, on the women. That's a great uh, insight, Tom, because that is exactly what we see has, has been happening. So these are all, all of these are really not new issues. Of course, the way the pandemic has played out is, is new. There's elements that are new. But what has happened is everything that there were challenges with became broader challenges. In fact, some people have been cited in saying, you know, that any inequities that were there are just even bigger inequities or fairness, bigger fairness. So in terms of women who choose to work or don't even choose to work, some many, many have to work for pay, um, you know, even part-time and full-time, you know, a lot of women just don't even have that choice. They have to work for pay because they're, they want to feed their children, especially a lot of single moms. But lots of families these days need those two incomes. So women in general have struggled with child care. That's one of our biggest things. And uh, one of the biggest concerns as well, even if we don't have child care, oftentimes women really strive when they have more flexibility. And so often jobs didn't have flexibility. So they would, you know, there was stresses about, and I know I, I was a working mom during some of the upbringing of my children as well. And when you don't have flexibility to go pick up kids or, or take them to a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day. So um, any of those things that that really adds stress. So there was a study by the Gardner Institute a number of years ago, probably five years ago, that did focus groups around the state, and they really found out the top two concerns of working mother in the, working mothers in the state of Utah were, number one, getting flexibility. They still want to work, but give me some flexibility so I can do the mom stuff and be there for my kids. Number two, child care. So we're seeing the same thing that we're seeing here, that, that we need some flexibility and child care. But things like, um, you know, other things like leave policies. There's problems with leave policies always. But during the pandemic, that became a real stronger need for women. Um, and so, you know, just other kinds of assistance, you know, uh, really has played out during the pandemic and been a stronger need even during the pandemic than it was before. But you're right, Tom, you know, the same issues, you just see it play out in bigger and larger ways and more challenging ways during pandemic times. One of the findings here, here's the bullet point, I'll have you expand on this. Working mothers felt guilt both as a parent and as an employee. Oh, that's a rough one for women. Men and women are very different most of the time, not always, very different in feelings of guilt. I think men, um, well, women really do feel more guilt. We, we are the mothers. Uh, we're, we, we have different hormones, uh, you know, and we're socialized in certain ways that we need to do certain ways. So this was a surprise to me that it was so high. I, I expect you know, we, we as mothers feel guilt and women in general feel guilt. But I was really quite surprised at how many women, that was our number two finding of our whole study, is that so many women said they just felt guilt. And the problem is, you know, guilt in general, if it, if it gets us to change quickly and do things better can be helpful. But oftentimes this guilt is just not helpful because what happened was, 
they just couldn't do it. And so they were always feeling guilty about not being a good enough employee. And then they were feeling guilty about not being a good enough spouse and a good enough parent. And But there was little time in their schedules, and some continue to struggle with this, right? The pandemic is not totally over. Um, and when you get in a situation where you just feel guilty and can't really do anything different because you're stuck, then it doesn't do any good other, I mean, it really doesn't because I've studied in, in my past life and my master's degree and so forth about stress and what stress does to your body. So when you have extra stress and there's nothing you can really feel like you can do, you don't have tools to cope any differently, then it really can negatively impact your health. And, and you probably know, Tom, that, that it's linked to incredible stress levels or link, linked to mental health struggles uh, diabetes, other, other, you know, heart disease and other health um, issues as well. So we did see that, you know, one woman said, I find myself feeling guilty for not working as much as I should or for working too much and not being present with my kids. It's hard to find a balance, and it can be especially hard to find any extra time for my own mental and physical health. So exactly what I was talking about, I thought that comment really kind of says it all there. If you just joined us, we're uh, talking with Dr. Susan Madsen. She's director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah State University. And we're talking about some recent research into the effects of the pandemic on women and uh, work. Uh, so Dr. Madsen, uh, here's kind of an ongoing theme that uh, sounds like was exacerbated during the pandemic, lack of support felt at home and work. Yeah, what was this was another, it wasn't a surprise. The general finding was not a surprise to me. But one thing that was a surprise was this. Of the hundreds of working mothers in our sample that really gave us data on this, um, many of them discussed the support level of their spouses. And I was thinking it would be a little better than it was. But about 24% of the people that responded said that their spouse was supportive which means 76% said their spouse was really not supportive. Um, and, and to me, I would have, I know many men that, that I know, and maybe it's just people I know, but have stepped it up to really, maybe they're working at home and tried to do some of the load at home. But what we're seeing is uh, just a quarter of the women who responded to to this question really felt like they had a supportive spouse, while uh, three-quarters said, no, I didn't really have support. It all got pretty much dumped on me. And that that was a surprise to me. I, I guess I was thinking it would be more like 40% at least, and 50 we know that it's not going to change uh, totally. But uh, some who felt support, you know, said it's been great to have my husband be able to take the kids to school after school got going again or do this or that. Um, but many said, you know, just didn't get any help. Do you have a spouse? Do you have a partner? But don't get any help. So, um, you know, that's, that's a struggle. And it seems to me it always seems really unfair. It's something that we've just seen. It's a habit that we've been raised with. We've seen our parents where our mothers stayed at home and, and, um, took care of most of the things, but when you have a working mother and a working father, what the research tells us, not just Utah, but national research and global research is still, even if men and women are working 
the same number of hours for paid work, women will take the load of the unpaid work by several hours a day. So if we, you know, we've established that uh, some of these findings are just, uh, you know, worsening of, of trends that are already there. Uh, do we learn anything from the pandemic? In other words, uh, how do we make changes? Some of these things uh, seem to be longstanding. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's, the, your word longstanding is key, because when we have been taught and when we've had examples that things are done certain ways, then we just continue to do that. And what some of the research, and Julie Hanks, Dr. Julie Hanks has done some great work. She's here in Utah. She's a therapist, uh, has done some great work on, on how to have better conversations in the home between partners. And so some of that, there's not even discussions in the home. The women just take it on. The men have more leisure time. That's what the research is saying. Um, you know, especially, you know, the brunt comes when you have kids at home, right? That's that's the real front of the the heaviness that women feel. But there's actually things at different levels that can be done. And this research does give us some ideas on that. And one is, like I was saying in the home, are you having these conversations? What does it look like? You know, how, how can you have better conversations? There's forms that I know other therapists have used in terms of helping you document all the stuff that's being done in the home or outside, you know, the the yard work and so forth, and really come down to hours spent in the day and really trying to have more of a negotiation between spouses um, in terms of what that looks like. Um, But a lot of our findings are really great, Tom, for uh, companies to consider. We did another study earlier right during the pandemic, and in December we published it, on what some of the top companies in Utah were doing, actually, in terms of helping support um, families and their employees. And that one has great information as well on ideas that, that companies can do. Things like, you know, working remote and flexibility with working hours or work locations or or paid maternity leave or, you know, the different kinds of leave. Um, and... I have to say one of the things that popped up the most as something that's in, in our COVID study now was in one of our reports, only half of, of uh, the women who responded actually said their companies would have any flexibility in work location or work hours, just about half, half. And one of the biggest findings in all of our research is how few workplaces, so companies, but also government workplaces, you know, educational, how few provide any resources or support at all, not even discussions for child care. And so I don't know if you want to hear it, but I have some yes. theories about what's going on in terms of child care. Uh, yeah. Definitely, okay. yes. Okay. So what I what I think is happening, and, and I don't prove this, but what I are you, sorry, I'm having some phone yeah. issues. What yes. I think is happening is that many employers are really don't even want to go to those discussions. So I see it as a continuum of people thinking, well, I have to either have a whole child care facility and give my child, you know, have my employees be able to bring the kids to work, or I shouldn't even bring it up. 
It's one end of the continuum or the other. And that's what I found, you know, in our research, we found only about 3% of people in our whole study said that their companies even did anything with childcare. And so what I'm thinking is it's all or nothing instead of there's really this continuum of just even a manager having a conversation. You may not have a childcare facility, but just listening and having a conversation or having the HR department know some resources out there in the communities, in your counties, in your state, or other people that provide so you can give them a list of resources. But what we found was really the companies were not doing anything, not even wanting to talk about it. Does this make sense, Tom? Yes, yes. That's that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to uh, go on to a couple of other topics here. Uh, anything else you'd like to bring out from these uh, these papers, this particular studies on uh, on the pandemic and women in work? Yeah, I I really we had a section on. Um, well, let me let me two thoughts coming up. Not this particular. We did a little bit with this, but but on other papers, we really looked at and run data on white women and women of color. Uh, we had a good enough sample on Hispanic women, um, and then often in our data, we've lumped all the others together because we didn't have as many as we had hoped. Um, but we, I do want to just mention that the Utah trends that we're seeing really did follow national trends, and that is that that with all this str- these struggles, white women struggled, but women of color really struggled in different ways, in more dramatic ways. Uh, we tended, at least in our sample, to have more women of color who were single moms and women of color, at least in our sample, that were in the lower income bracket. And so, of course, you can imagine bigger issues and bigger struggles and greater challenges with women who are in the lower income bracket. But but our, you know, we found women of color really did uh, struggle even more than white women in the state of Utah. So I wanted to acknowledge that. And secondly, I brought up very quickly um, the single mothers. And first of all, you know, the, the brunt of the, the hard pandemic comes with moms or guardians or grandmothers who are taking care of kids. But even on top of that, when you had single mothers, you know, you can imagine the challenge of single mothers trying to provide for their children, many without any partner support, and, um, and then really struggling. Some of them had had family support from their parents. And during that pandemic, they were very nervous to even have their kids, you know, because they loved their parents, didn't want to get COVID to their parents, that their children who were interacting in school or whatever, and really struggling to not even know how to move forward. So we had lots of stories from um, single mothers really helping us understand um some of the struggles that they faced as well. And uh, I'm sure you can, like I said, imagine that. Um, just one one quick story. I'm, I'm a single mom with two young school-aged kids. It is incredibly difficult to balance work and family demands. At least once or twice a week, I feel like I just can't do both anymore. But that's not an option for me. I love my kids and I love my job. I've moved forward the best I can, but I felt burned out for a long time, and I feel like my sleep and mental health have suffered 
I have too, I have more anxiety, and I often find myself feeling like there's just too much for one person to do. I sympathize with women who have quit. I would if I could. So I, I think that's a, a real good explanation for that. Um, and then there was another, I don't know if you have any comments or do you want me to just keep going? There was one other area I wanted to discuss. Yeah, yes, that's, uh, that's <laughs> breaks your heart in one way, doesn't it? Uh, but it, it's, it's good to get these comments to, you know, get, get to the heart of what uh, women are feeling. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. The other one I wanted to, just the, the child care challenges that they, uh, that they faced. And one thing, there were two elements that we really, in our latest report, really focused on. And one of them is so fascinating. All, even though we had a huge sample, 70, which is quite large, actually were child care providers or child care employees. So we, we really um, that, talk about heartbreaking stories. Uh, we had a lot of them. And and. I believe I'm not it may there may have been something positive from one or two but I believe all of them really kind of opened their hearts and gave us their perspectives on various kinds of things so one is um really these women who have been in the trenches um of the child care during the pandemic absolutely felt not valued um, taken, uh, you know, taken for granted. Um, and one of the actions that was taken or not taken, I should say, is they really believed that they should have been designated as early receivers of the vaccine, um, you know, healthcare workers. So they're the ones that really were watching the kids of healthcare workers so they could go to the hospital. And even one kid with the pan, you know, with, with COVID could shut down the rest of their daycare. So, and then they put themselves at risk being there, but they were not designated or recognized. And, and many talked about a continuing problem, and that is that many people still look at child care folks as really babysitters. Now, I'm putting my hands in quote marks when I say that, as babysitters and not real professionals. And so many of these providers are really truly professionals. Many of them have degree, not not all of them, but some of them have degrees in early childhood development. And, and there's a real art to helping kids prepare, you know, at ages one, two, three, I mean, reading, um, helping them prepare for kindergarten. Many of the quality child care facilities really do that. And they rely on good you know, research-based techniques to really prepare the children for that. Yet, many of us who use child care really just say, oh, they're babysitters and not value who they are and the background they are, um, they have, you know, and the preparation. So I think that's a longer-term, you know, issue that they have struggled with. But they really unloaded in their comments to us on in this Qualtrics survey on some of the ongoing challenges, but also during the the COVID pandemic. And of course, you know, as you can imagine from them, they really suffered financially as well, because even if they were open, they weren't full in some ways, and then they had to have less children. So they really did lose some income. Some of them did get some financial help from some of the COVID funding that came in. um, But 
But those were some striking findings, I think. Um, and, of course, many, many women themselves really, there were less, you know, child care opportunities for them to put their kids in as well. And just that stress and that guilt of putting their kids someplace where they were worried about uh, their kids getting COVID and bringing it home to them and maybe even their parents was an ongoing concern and, and struggle for them. Yeah, it's good. Uh, good to get these uh, these comments uh, and highlight the problems, right? And then hopefully it can can help uh, move towards solutions. Uh, let's take another break. When we come back, we have our last segment with Dr. Susan Madsen. Um, she is director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah State University. We've been talking about new research from the Utah Women and Leadership Project on how the pandemic uh, has affected women and work. Uh, I want to, Dr. Madsen, after a break, get into a couple of other topics, one being the gender pay gap. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a, there's, you have a paper out here on um, uh, addressing gender pay gap uh, in Utah with state equal pay laws. I want to talk about that a little bit. And then you had an op-ed piece in which you talked about uh, the, uh, the ongoing problem of sexism. And you talk about this uh, concept of benevolent sexism, uh, which I hadn't <laughs> encountered before. Um, the overt sexism, then benevolent sexism. I want to talk a little bit about that as well. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll do that after this break. Utah Public Radio programming is supported in part by our members and Westside Coffee Company on 100 West in Logan, offering breakfast and lunch with vegan and gluten-free options. Kitchen open from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pastry and non-cooked items available all day until 6 p.m. Monday through Sunday. Details at the westsidecoffeecompany.com. Hi, this is Noelle Cockett, president of Utah State University. I listen to UPR in my car and online at upr.org. Two menial security guards are embroiled in an unexpected family fiasco. Suppose somebody who's supposed to be near and dear to you was accused of doing some kind of terrible crime and was trying to use you as an alibi. Lobby Hero by Kenneth Lonergan, next time on L.A. Theatre Works. Tune in Friday night at 9 here on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is Dr. Susan Madsen. She's director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah State University. You can find them at utwomen.org. Is that right, Dr. Madsen? Utwomen.org? Yep. Yes, um, it is. Thanks. And uh, you can find their new podcast um, wherever you get your podcast. You can also find it from uh, upr.org. That's a partnership with uh, Utah Public Radio. Happy to be doing that. Um, and an event coming up, I want to mention this one more time, talking about the subject we've been talking about this hour, which is how the pandemic has affected women and work. And uh, that event is August 25th at noon. You can go to utwomen.org, get uh, details on that uh, virtual online event. So, Dr. Metzen, you uh, was looking on the website, utwomen.org, uh, you, you uh, write a regular uh, column, a regular piece for Forbes, I believe, and this one really uh, struck me. Uh, the title of it is Why Sexism is a Wicked Problem. So first of all, <laughs> d- define wicked problem. 
I love that. I'm glad you found that. And I was just searching when you said that because I just wrote a piece that should uh, hopefully come out in the Tribune on this issue on, on how I, I've titled it, How Understanding Benevolent Sexism Can Help Us Be Better Utahns. But you found the Forbes one, and wicked is a great term. I It's one that we don't use in Utah very often, but it's been used in Europe. I've done a lot of work in the U.K., and it's been used for, for at least a decade in the U.K. And what we mean by wicked problem is a really complex problem, so a really challenging. So not something that we can just say, you know, there's a solution to, but a wicked problem is like the pandemic, right? That's the biggest wicked problem we've had in our society or, or peace or just something, you know, how even conflict in your home, how to get two of your kids to get along when it's been really hard and you've tried many things. So that's what I mean by a wicked problem. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And then you go on to talk about hostile sexism and benevolent sexism. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, hostile sexism really is the more obvious sexism, and it can be really mean, like sexual harassment, but it can be things that that you you do, but it's pretty conscious, you know. Even things in meetings, and people should correct this, where, where and I hear this happens all the time in the state of Utah, where, where women, you know, they may be a lawyer just like the three other men in the room, but they're constantly asked to take the notes or or um, get coffee or, you know, drinks or whatever, they're, they're given the responsibilities that more women are given, even if they have the education and that's really not their role. And even just, uh, you know, comments, inappropriate jokes, that one, you know, I would think people would be kind of beyond that, but I still hear stories at least once a month from, from women who email me or talk to me to say, you know, I was just in this situation and there was you know, uh, jokes being told, particularly by men, uh, really demeaning women or really focusing on sexual objectification kinds of things. So those kinds of things are more, you know, hostile. They're just out there. They're pretty obvious. But there's benevolent sexism is really something that a lot of people don't think about. And that is we can be sexist. And, and by the way, it's not always men to women. It's Mostly when we talk about this, it is men to women. But sometimes women can be sexist to, you know, the other women or to men in, in different ways. Um, you know, just expecting men should never cry or men should do this. That's, that can be sexist back. But oftentimes benevolent sexism goes from men to women. And that particular thing, it comes often from a really good place. That's why we call it benevolent. Like you're trying to be kind but what you do can definitely subtly sometimes and not so subtly other times really hurt. And, and I talk about it mostly in this works piece in the workplace. So things like, Tom, if you, if you were my boss, let's say, and you were going to this evening event and the president of USU is there and maybe the board of trustees and maybe some CEOs from the community and I'm one of your employees and you think, wow, Susan, that would really benefit her career to meet these other people. But you know what? She's got three little kids. I don't, but <laughs> you know what I mean. She's got three little kids. She's such a good worker during the day. This is an evening event. I don't, I'm not even going to ask her. Not even going to ask her. And what you're doing, Tom, in that situation is protecting her 
But what are you really doing? You're not giving her a choice. You're not actually, that could be a really great thing to be able to meet these CEOs in the community for, for her job or her career, but she doesn't even get the chance. So that's just one example. I have many, many examples I, I use. But that's one example of you coming from a really good place, Tom. Your heart is like, oh, I, I want to be kind. But do you see how this might uh, really disadvantage her? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so how, do we, uh, how do we counteract this? Well, I think the first thing that I always talk about is awareness. So we as women need to, to become aware of, of how sexism plays out, how we can even be. You know, it could be a, a female, actually, that did what I was just saying that you, you were doing in that situation, who says, oh, I don't even want to bug her, but, but Joe has three kids, too, but, oh, he's got a wife to take care of. I'll just ask him to go. So um, just being aware and starting to pay attention, it's amazing when you start to pay attention. If you have a... a a great, uh, thoughtful woman who, uh, who understands this, like in your workplaces, oftentimes, I know Governor Cox actually uh, tells, and he's told this, the stories of, he asked one of his great employees to kind of be a coach for him. And he said, hey, let me see, help me see these things happening. And so he talked one time about, about this female employee who told him, watch this in the meeting that we're coming up on. And he's, and so he did. And what he watched, and this is very common, is if a woman is in a group of mostly men, oftentimes when she shares a comment, it's ignored. And then maybe two or three people later, a man says exactly what, what she said, and everybody, like, jumps on board with him. Um, when it was really the woman. So that is a very common thing. And so Governor Cox talked about, and this was a few years ago before he was governor, how he started paying attention to that. And he said, oh, my gosh, I just saw that happen. And before, he'd never seen it happen before. So even when women understand that, they can do something. And it doesn't have to be blatant calling it out. But But if a woman was in there or a man and we heard that happen, we could say things like, hey, Joe, that, that was great that you built on Julie's comment. And Julie, do you want to speak a little bit more about your ideas? And so just deflecting, you know, kind of, I don't think it's a deflection, but, but there's some real strategies to do that. We at the Utah Women in Leadership Project actually collected last summer um, from a 1,000 women sexist comments and behaviors and we will be laying those out in the fall in some reports and creating some tools for men and women, for women to give, give them some ideas on how to respond in, in really helpful and educational ways. But for men, too, just, just reading through them will help them say, oh, maybe I didn't understand that that really does disadvantage women. Oh, I made a reference to uh, state equal pay laws. We have about one minute left, so I'll have you give your okay. one-minute version. Uh, just to mention, then we can uh, point people to this white paper uh, at your website. Um, so t- tell us about state equal pay laws. Yeah, what we did is we do know um, that we are are one of the worst. We are actually second to the bottom. Wyoming is always worse. But we are nationally about 80%, 80 cents to a dollar in terms of the wage gap between men and women. And by the way, this is a huge 
like there's so much to this topic, so I'm not giving it justice. But in Utah, it's about 70 cents. So we are, Wyoming is always worse than us, at least, at least most of the time, which can give us some solace, I suppose. But uh, what we did is had, had a wonderful uh, pay analyst, Jenna is her name, Jenna Gold, and she did an analysis of all 50 states and what they are doing in terms of gender pay gap, like, legislation. And what we did was do an analysis of all of those and then put together a five-page report really for the state and people interested in these and state legislatures on um, what we recommend. And basically, you know, people can go to our white papers on our website under our research tab to really get that. And um, hopefully it will guide some legislation as we move forward to really, we don't want Utah always like, you know, we don't want people or companies to say we don't want to move to Utah because there's gender issues. Most companies really are caring more and more about diversity and, and want to have more equitable workplaces. So that's what our hope is for this. Well, we'll uh, we'll refer people to that paper. You can find uh, all of that um, at utwomen.org, utwomen.org. And that's the website for Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah State University. And the director is Dr. Susan Madsen, who we've had with us for the hour. Dr. Madsen, a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tom. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, also heard at upr.org. I'm Jasmine Mesa, one of the bilingual reporters at Utah Public Radio. This year we have been working on increasing the diversity of voices you hear on UPR, and that is where I come in. I produce news stories in Spanish each week, and right now I've been reporting a lot of COVID-19, but as things continue to open up, I will be reporting on community events and other resources. Tune in on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. to listen to my stories in Spanish and visit upr.org to read them in English.